0: Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. After a three-year hiatus, Bill Simmons is back with his NBA trade value rankings for the 2018 and 2019 season. You can check that out, as well as our year-in-review articles wrapping up everything 2018 on the site. Also, throughout the holidays, we will be sticking to our regular podcast schedule, so make sure to tune in to your favorite shows as usual. Happy holidays from The Ringer.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome back to a special year in review episode of On Shuffle. I'm your host, Micah Peters, the staff writer at The Ringer, and for this episode, we opened up the mailbag, and one of the questions I got was, what even is music in 2018? Well I guess it technically would be now what even was music in 2018, but I read it, reread it, and then read it again, and my forehead started getting hot. Because what even was music in 2018? Can you pick any one thing that defines its identity, or is that just the most recent thing that happened? Drake and Ariana Grande, if we're being stingy with it, are probably the only superstars in the traditional sense. Dance challenges probably aren't going anywhere, but after that it's just a mess of weird and amazing things that happened in discrete pockets of the music world. This week's SPIN staff writer Israel Deramola, my colleague Danny Chow, and I spread this fractious year of music out on the ground and picked out five big trends from 2018 to riff on. Then my editor Donnie Kwok and I sifted through the rest of the mailbag to answer any lingering questions you had. But first, Israel, let's get into it.
2: My generation going downhill, is wiping out. Meanwhile, I'm turned as fuck. I left my pizza in the oven, that bitch burnt as fuck. A lot of cheese to go around, bitch. I could turn you up. A lot of these little bitches cool, but they be weak as fuck. All right,
1: Spin staff writer Israel Daramola is on the line. Israel, how you doing? I'm doing good, man.
2: Uh, I'm ready to get uh, this year over with. Um It's, uh, been a, it's not been a great year for music.
1: It hasn't been a great year for music. Okay. Can you expound on that just a little?
2: Uh, I think this is like the year where everyone has either been like on autopilot or just I th- I feel like our general cynicism and malaise about society is seeping into people's music. Mm. And uh, for everything that's been exciting, there's been way more things that have just been sort of humdrum. And that's been disappointing.
1: I think that you're talking about mainly that the heavy hitters that we would normally count on, that the people whose albums releases we anticipate for months on end, kind of delivered some stinkers this year. Like Nicki Minaj's Queen was, I mean, like there were seven good tracks on it, but that was just okay. Uh, we Don't Need to Talk About Yay Again. <laughs> um, there was Scorpion, which was a huge double disk that was 50 songs long and 17 hours long but you know like it went a bajillion times platinum so that was neither here nor there but another exciting thing that happened was uh that and this is our first big trend was that it seemed like we were kind of turning a corner in terms of being able to hold more than one female rapper in our uh public consciousness at one time
2: yeah, this was a this was a really good year for female rap. This was sort of the year where like the fact that everything is niche uh culture finally kind of got expounded on with uh women. So like we didn't have to do the whole, well, there's only we can only have one successful woman at a time thing. We could just have a year full of dope women making dope music and they were all different from each other in a way.
1: Yeah, they were all kind of they were all shooting at different things, right? So say for instance, me
3: pride, me person, to only the niggas hoop. Trade
0: them all for
1: cartoon. Uh no name telephones room twenty-five was very contemplative and very analog and thoughtful and pensive and all these other things. And then you have some a project like uh Queen Key's Eat My Pussy, which is uh Queen Key's this uh, rapper from Chicago, uh who, is hilarious really. I I believe she was like one of she put out one of your like E my buzz was one of your favorite albums of the year, right?
2: It is one of my favorite albums of the year. I I really love her and that record, I think she's just an incredible personality. She's just an infectious person and then as a rapper like she makes just these really funny songs that just like really knock. They really like hit you hard and I love it.
1: What was the best track off of you by Pussy what you say
2: I think uh, Miss 100K is probably is currently my favorite Need a
1: 100K a day on the way hey.
2: Call me Miss a hundred K. I, I need a 100K a day
1: on the way
2: hey. I also like the uh, Spend the Night and um, yeah those I think those two are like my favorite Uh, tracks off the album right and i I just can't wait to see what she does next. i really am like out out of everyone that i enjoyed this year that's the one that i'm interested to see what they do next
1: most of all it was the gen f profile for the fader i think it was where there's this kind of image of of queen key like in chinatown in chicago wearing a rugrats t-shirt and adidas slides and she was talking about how she doesn't even like really consider herself as well she doesn't think that when she's laying a verse down that it's as funny as it is and she goes because when i'm recording half the time i don't realize what i say is that funny but when i hear that shit back i'd be dead <laughs> um yeah i mean
2: she's really funny and like she loves to laugh at herself and i think that uh it's not fun when kevin hart does it but it seems to be fun when she does it <laughs>
1: So see, you know, uh what what you what you gotta realize is that I'm small and um <laughs>
2: uh the thing is people. The people.
1: <laughs> but also there was um there was Tierra Wack who put out Whack World this year, which was a groundbreaking 15-minute visual album. Uh we still have yet to hear a well it is a full-length pr- project I guess like because it is technically 15 songs even though they're each only 1 minute long. Um but I'm looking forward to whatever it is that she puts out next.
2: People keep saying like they they want to hear like a full thing from her and I understand that impulse, but I kind of kind of hope she just keeps doing stuff like this it's like, it's just like maybe she can make a hundred songs in like ten minutes or something. I don't know, <laughs> but like, there's. I've gone back and forth over whether I like Whack World because of how short it is, and like, none of the songs are long enough for me to get sick of. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's a hundred percent true. But it definitely plays a role, and I think that's that's fine. A short things are good. Getting things out of the way is just like being concise and just being. Making people want more is is a good quality to have. Like the it's the first one hundred forty character album. I think that's <laughs> a great idea.
1: In addition, uh there was a more pulverizing uh, female rap music like from Rico Nasty, who put out Nasty this year, which has this record called Counting Up on It, which you should absolutely go watch the colors performance of but also in the air featuring blockboy jb which is like very destroy your apartment to it music
2: of-
0: yeah she she
2: was really gnarly she makes a lot of like mosh pit type of rap and uh, and it's actually, like, uh, a believable type of mosh pit-type music, not like Travis Scott's, like, glossy version of mosh pit music. Hers is, like, very... She's very out there, and she's always trying new things. And uh, I, do, I admire her a lot. I admire her a lot. And I've written a lot about her this year. You know, I saw her live earlier in the year, and I think, like, she... That was probably, like, one of my favorite concerts experiences, because she just knows how to put on a show. She knows how to she knows how to get people riled up, man. It's, it's a lot of fun. If I was still young, I would probably be, like, deeper into just, like, moshing to her music.
1: So you weren't actually in physically in the mosh pit at the Rico Nasty show, uh, is what I you're can't, saying? I can't live that life. <laughs> but uh, not your, anymore. Your ligaments are too pretty for that,
2: huh? It's not even too pretty. They're too brittle. <laughs> I, I, don't, I wouldn't even make it
1: Okay, but aside from Rico Nasty, what are some other projects from female rappers that came out this year that you feel that people might have missed and that they absolutely should look into?
2: The ones they should absolutely look up, look into are the two City Girl albums that dropped this year. Megan Thee Stallion, who I liked a lot. She made she did a project called uh, Tina Snow, which was really
1: good. Right, it has that record on it called Good At, which I've banged the shit out of a lot this year.
2: Right. All the dolls are really good. Cash Doll, Cuban Doll, Asian Doll. It's been a lot. That's the new. I guess. I guess that's like the the women equivalent of all the little out the little rappers. It's like they, we have a bunch of doll rappers now, and think like, <laughs> and they're all good. So you know, check out Cash Doll and Cuban Doll and Asian Doll. They're all making really good music. Uh, Cody Shane made a good album. Uh, I think it's called Teenage Heartthrob. That I thought was really good. And um, I don't know if she counts as a rapper, but, you know, if you enjoyed Doja Cat's meme record of the year, her album is very good.
1: Amala is very good. Also, you should check out uh, Hive Maintenance by Sweetie, which has the Icy Girl song on it, which is really a Key of shine record, but you know, like whatever. It's it's neither here nor there. But anyway, it's a very good album. It's very fun, very kinetic, all those things. Let's move on to the next trend. The next trend we're going to talk about is the Memphis sound, which was very big in rap music this year. Uh, actually, a mutual friend of ours, Timothy Threadcraft, wrote a good piece on Culture Crush about this a few months ago about how Memphis was very big in the mainstream. Actually, another one of your favorite albums this year, I saw your notes app list on Twitter, sorry, that the Negro Swan by um, Blood Orange has yeah. a song on it called Chewing Gum, which features one ASAP Rocky and Project Pat, who was just kind of sitting there during their SNL performance. But
2: The, the legendary Project the Pat. The legendary
1: yeah. Project Pat, who popped up in a couple of places because also uh, Drake basically cribbed some Project Pat lines for their Look Alive collaboration with uh, Block Boy JB. Project Pat was also in the music video next to Zach Randolph. <laughs> um, but then again, there was also a big year for Tay Keith and so on and so forth. So yeah, Memphis Sound was very large this year.
2: Yeah, Memphis was big. There was a lot of Who Run It freestyles this year, which is... I mean, like anytime 3 Six Mafia gets appreciation, it's fine with me, even if it's like years later. But I don't know what prompted all the Who Run It freestyles.
1: Uh, but It was actually like G Herbo. G Herbo had like Loki had four of the best minutes in Rap last year with the Who Run It freestyle. Um, And then everybody just started doing Who Run It freestyles.
2: Right. I you know I do like the uh, the block boy JB records that dropped this year. I think he's just like a. Uh, I did call him the trap Michael Jackson just because he's like an amazing dancer and a performer, in my opinion. <laughs> and you know, I feel like he had a better first half of the year than second half. But you know, yeah, he's he's still young. He has time to get things together and take uh as much as. The hype is sort of focused on Kenny Beats, and it should be, rightfully so. But Take Keith had a great year this year. Um, he got to work with some of the biggest out artists in music right now. And, you know, he has a signature Memphis-style sound. And just very, like, deep bass and, like, countrified and... You know, I enjoy it a
3: lot.
1: And we're talking about uh Tay Heath, who produced um the most exciting part of Sicko Mode. Uh, I mean, he also produced Look Alive, produced Nonstop for Drake. Take Keith as to 2018 as Pierre Borm was to 2017 I guess.
2: Right. Yeah, he's he's shown up on all the big projects this year. He was on uh, the drip harder Tate with Lil Baby and Gunna. He was on Astral World like you mentioned. He was on uh, the Drake album Scorpion. Yeah, he's been he's really making a name for himself and it's just like at a young young age and it'll be fun to see where he goes from here because Memphis, I think, is probably probably the biggest influence in the current rap sound right now. Just that three six mafia, like sort of dungeon cellar type of like nightmarish horrorcore sound is big with like the young up and comer on SoundCloud. So Memphis, I think, if this year is probably the Memphis explosion, but I I think like that's not that's not, not going anywhere anytime soon
1: um let's move on to the next term which is outlaw country now it's not exactly what you think uh paul thompson who was a guest on this podcast a couple of episodes wrote after seeing young thug perform at a concert hall in hollywood a piece for noisy about how young thug is glam rock and rap last year was smack in the middle of its glam phase and you know like rap being sort of young it's useful to look to other genres for historical precedent. So in the 70s at the same time Bowie was happening Outlaw Country had gotten really popular and a similar thing is sort of happening at rap in the moment. I'm thinking specifically about OOK uh, which came out on Gunna's Drip Season 3 at the beginning of the year. Mar
2: kind of been spinning mad at the cook my one no tennis chop out the top hit it the okay. limits I got some cash I want to okay. spin new baby ta didn't want to rent it too many fans too many bitches, throw my slime get him out of little better to slide okay. you would get slipped. Okay. Hey.
1: you we remember you were when you first heard that <laughs>
2: do I remember where I was I was probably home uh in my apartment <laughs> since it gun I'm sure I listened to it the night it came out <laughs> so
1: Right, but it's kind of like the, well, I guess it would be going back to Young Thug's Beautiful Thugger Girls, which came out last year. Um, This is kind of the logical progression of that. It would be like Gunna. Also Lil Baby, who at the end of 2017 put out uh, that pink slip record with Young Thug, and that has continued into this year. And then there was the emergence of artists like Roddy Ricch.
2: You uh, me. All my do murders and I Roddy Ricch. I really like Roddy Ricch a lot. Um, who, you know, his album dropped late so it probably missed a lot of people's lists, but it's definitely an album worth checking
1: out. Yeah, it's uh, Feed the Streets 2 is absolutely worth your time. There's a record on it called Every Season, which again uses those kind of jangling acoustic guitar keys and talks about, um, you know, an outlaw lifestyle. The actual music video is, I mean, it's this kind of narrative regression about how he's taking care of some other kid that's in the neighborhood that plays basketball and he wants him to just hoop instead of, you know... He wants him to just hoop instead of taking chances, so he slides the money under the table from various drug deals slash racketeer, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, um, you should absolutely listen to that project and watch that music video.
2: There's also Lil Tracy and Lil Uzi verse "Like a Farmer," which yeah. is a very which is a very country record.
1: It absolutely is a very country record. Also, Juice World put out. A country song just recently after playing Red Dead Redemption 2 for a very long time.
2: I am very anti Juice World, but that's a discussion for another podcast.
1: Also, recent collaborator, recent Juice World collaborator Future put out Beast Mode 2 in March of this year, and on that record was Rax Blue, which is a, ostensibly a country song.
2: The Rax Blue. But supposed to do any Well yeah it it's funny for a long time uh we were talking about like rap in the terms of like punk rock or like rap in the terms of emo rock, and now we're just like rap is in a out uh, country music phase it it would seem to be a weird uh, a less field turn, but it it makes sense honestly, I mean street rap is basically country music anyway, so it makes sense that we that they would just meld the two together
1: right i mean like it's well if you're thinking about how like hip-hop is informed by the trap sound it's just that like if you go from the late 2000s up to the mid-2010s like production got more adventurous they use weirder sounds like like think the pan flute on Future's Mask off. Now it's just like mm-hmm. we're going to use country music elements and it works by and large. Right. Um one last question. So one of the one of the better things about these final 2 weeks of the year aside from looking into next year are that the same meme keeps popping up where it's like the lady like walking up the stairs and leaving behind things in, in, in the previous year, but in her knapsack yeah. is like you know self-improvement, this, that, and the other thing, blah, 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 blah. The new,
2: the new year, new meme memes. Yeah, the
1: new year, new me memes. But what would you like to see music leave behind in 2018?
2: Uh, I would like to see music, leave behind (laughs) self-importance and I would like to see them leave behind super long albums just to gain the streaming system.
1: Yeah, those two things kind of go hand in hand. You would like to not have to find Drake interesting for an hour and 45 minutes. Um, Right.
2: I would also just like, I would just like them to leave the stuffiness behind, like everything's so overstuffed and like go back to making good songs like, it, I know, like, I make it sound simple, and, like, it's very hard to make a good song, but I think people are more, I don't know, in some ways, people treat songs like they need to be blockbusters, especially, like, the bigger rap artists. Mm-hmm. They treat music like they need to be, like, Marvel movies, <laughs> like they need to be, like, adventures, and, or, like, just these like, thrill rides, and, like, sometimes, like, people just you just want to hear a good song and, like, feel better about the life they're living because like everything else is terrible right now. <laughs> and the uh, people, I, I think people just, this year was a lot of like being lazy but also like trying to cover that laziness with like bigness with like grandiosity mm-hmm. as a way of like masking the fact that all these songs are lazy. I feel
1: like you're thinking about something in particular.
2: Well, I'm thinking about Kanye.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm thinking about Nicki Minaj, right.
1: um, the the aforementioned veterans that kind of like let us down this year.
2: Yeah, these two people just like almost like they forgot how to make good music. Like they just are like trying to transfer their feelings of self importance into the music mm-hmm. rather than like focusing on like making good songs. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, there is this like anecdote about Gold uh, Digger, which is that like Kanye. Thought of it as a throwaway song mm-hmm. and it's one of Kanye's best singles and like maybe Tanya needs to start thinking about making throwaway music because mm-hmm. when he thinks about making music that certifies his legacy that's when he makes the worst stuff <laughs> so like maybe you just need to like go into the studio and like remember what it was like to have fun and like enjoy making music instead of like trying to be Walt Disney all the time
1: I feel like that's how I love it happened—the the little pump collab. <laughs> yeah,
2: it was like all these like all these throwaway songs become your biggest songs because like people just want to have a fun, enjoyable song. They don't want to. They don't want to think about your legacy. I actually think one of the the biggest things we were not talking about uh, this year is like just how like Kanye screwed over his entire label just to like something to his ego mm-hmm. with his like seven seven track series Wyoming, the Wyoming series I guess we can call it. Sure. The Pusha T album was great, everybody loved it but everybody else kind of got the short end of the straw, including Kanye himself mm-hmm. and it was all to service Kanye's ego and you know, maybe we, like we don't need that we just need like good music that like people want to feel good People don't feel good right now. People feel terrible right now. And they don't need music that like doesn't make them feel anything but like worse. I think that's why, you know, some of the best songs are like that were released this year are just these really goofy songs like Doja Cat's Moo or like Blueface Army mm-hmm. uh yeah, who's just like Wrapping off beats and then, like, at the entire internet having a debate about whether that's good or bad. And it's, it's extremely silly, but at least it's fun.
1: That's very true. More
2: fun is, yeah, yeah. More it's fun. 2019, let's have more fun.
1: More fun is the trend that you would like to carry into 2019. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
2: Let's have fun again.
1: Uh, Israel Darabola, staff writer at Spin. Thank you very much for joining me to talk about trends in music this year.
2: Thank you, man. Of course, I'm glad I got to come.
1: Now we're back. I am joined by my colleague Danny Chow, who is again going to articulate his thoughts on music. This time, we're going to talk a little bit about how pure pop is sort of continuing to regress in terms of mainstream popularity and just in general pop getting weirder and female singer songwriters. Danny, how are you doing today?
0: I, I never thought I'd, I'd be back. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. It's, it's, it's been it's been what a, a good a, a good two two week dry spell. Two, two week dry spell. And I, I, you know that's that's generally the, the time where I'm like, all right, they don't want me. They don't want me back. <laughs>
1: want me back. Of, we are. Listen, I'm always happy to have you on 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 this podcast to talk about many things. But today we're going to talk about queer pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was a lot of it and a lot of good queer pop music this year. I mean, like Sophie released an album this year that was amazing. Imanike, uh, Let's Eat Grandma. So, I mean, like let's rap about it for a second.
0: Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting year for that. I think one of my favorites, um, of the year. Have you heard 1950? I have not By heard 1950. King Princess.
3: I love it when we play 1950 so cold it just stays about to kill me i'm surprised when you kiss me
0: amazing song that literally if you, if the first time you listen to it you're just like oh my god this this should be a pop hit on the radio for the past like 4 years mm. like it just has that very smooth almost immaculately produced pop style of, of the past 3 years but you listen to it and it's just like it's a complete inversion of the typical you know come save me you know, she's speaking from a very you know queer perspective. and she's like, "I hate it when dudes try to try to chase me right, But I love it when you try to save me, but it's it's, you know, this she's talking to another woman and it's it's sure, yeah, it's it's really beautiful. And it was one, just a very clear subversion of a very specific template of songwriting that she was able to kind of put into this Trojan horse of a very modern contemporary. Almost ubiquitous sounding pop song. And I found that interesting because, you know, we talk about all sorts of media this year being like, you know, one piece of art doesn't necessarily need to represent an entire community or an entire perspective. Right. And so 1950 was one of those songs where I'm like,
1: cool. Okay, so you mean like 1950 was one of those songs where it's just like, we are, it's fine for pop to get more niche and yeah. for it to be representative of the people that are listening to it and not necessarily this sort of common denominator. Right. I mean, in addition to that, I mean, there was the um, Haley Kiyoko project that everyone loved. Um, Troy christine and the queens who which became chris this year did you did you listen to you listen oh yeah
0: yeah uh i mean it was quite a it was pretty long album right it was like 28 songs long 28 songs Uh, oh i've i've listened to christine and the queens for a few years now i think i was introduced 2014 i want to say um there's something about french pop that Speaks to me.
1: <laughs> something about French mouth that speaks yeah. to you. I feel, like, I feel like we should needle that just a little bit. I
0: don't know. The way that when, especially when French singers uh, sing in English, mm-hmm. the way in which they, their cadence and the way in which they project words is just completely not how we're used to hearing them. Yeah. There's something about that that's really like. Tickling, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the the imitation, like the imitation of English, but also like very like purposeful pronunciation, Yeah. which is uh, another thing that I find enjoyable about it. But yeah, I mean, like one of the more memorable pop occurrences of this year was that few days where after a Star Is Born came out, when everybody was trying to decide what exactly the movie was trying to say about pop music. You know, what's funny is I
0: one I haven't seen it even though I, I told myself and I told many staff writers at The Ringer that this was absolutely the one movie that I was going to see uh-huh. in 2018. It just it just didn't happen. Does The Shallow make any more sense as, a, as a, just a song? Like, if you watch the movie? Because that, that song is like four different songs.
1: It is, but the way that it happens in the movie is that, like, it's kind of...
3: Tell me something, boy.
1: Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper are sitting in the parking lot of a convenience store and like she's just kind of like trying to figure out the melody of the song and then like the pieces come together and then like
2: Ain't it hard
0: keeping it's so hardcore
1: You know, then she starts she's just like, oh, I have it and then like then she starts singing the hook really loudly
3: I'm off the deep end. Watch as I dive in,
1: like in the in okay the, in the park, and then like they perform the song together on stage at like this big Jackson Maine show, which is you know like Bradley yeah. Cooper's character. The and I guess it kind of makes sense in the context of their like the way that their relationship is budding throughout the movie but i mean it is a but, bunch of different songs yeah together. yo there there are two
0: artists who like <laughs> collaborated on a song except it sounds like they were writing four songs and they were just like fuck it
1: it's just like yo <laughs> yeah music is dope <laughs> after After they're together, and like, you know, they're married, and she's her her star is rising, and she's performing on SNL, they she they she performs that, you know, why did you come around me with an ass like that song? It's hilarious, but like, it's not really, I don't, I wasn't sure whether I was supposed to be laughing at it or whether I was supposed to think that it was like, you know, this is what pop music sounds like or whether I was supposed to, you know, like long for the halcyon days of them writing together in a notebook or whatever. It's like, it seems to really place the singer songwriter as, you know, like the one true form of music. But in any case... The next trend that we're going to talk about is actually <laughs> female female singer songwriters, and there were like a lot of good female singer songwriter projects. So many, so many that
0: it, it's it gets kind of hard to to run through all of them because you're just like I'm totally missing like five or six even if you go down a list of 10
1: exactly exactly and i mean like everybody let's just start with Mitsuki because everybody loves the album it's on it's at the top of every year end list there's still people writing huge features about it Mm -hmm. what was so what was so amazing about this album have you have you ever seen her live i've never seen her live no okay so
0: i caught her la show i think a last month at the Turn, mm-hmm. And I think the, one of the biggest things that allowed me to appreciate this album more than I did on first listen was just seeing her perform it live. Uh-huh. The, the confidence that she had, um, you know, she had it, the, the entire thing like choreographed and she was very much aware of her place in music right now. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, there's such a, a strong confidence that kind of reverberates from her performance now that you know you probably wouldn't have seen it in her past albums and and though i think personally if you were to ask me for my personal favorites i think a couple of her older uh albums probably resonate a little bit more with me mm-hmm. in that you know it caught me in a right time you know, right, right sort right, of right, thing right, right, right but right. i think this record is just so so confident geyser is just like a
1: firework of a song it's incredible also fun nobody bat. is like a bat to your knees mm-hmm. like it's it's amazing but then I mean like in addition to the Misky album there was I mean should we just go down the list I mean like there's Snail mail Soccer mommy
0: I don't have a fucking thought that she try to
1: Phoebe Bridgers
0: I can hardly feel anything I hardly feel anything at all Boy genius Lucy Dacus you know some some you know less lesser known acts Mia um I- an incredible list of of talent and and songwriting, and I, I really wonder if it all kind of and I wonder if this is more me just kind of projecting my own way into the whole female singer-songwriter boom, but Uh 2012 was when Fiona Apple made her triumphant return with The Idler Wheel. It is my (laughs) favorite album of the decade. And I wonder, like, all of these singer-songwriters are around our age or younger. Uh I do wonder if they found this album and they were just like, you know what? This is what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, and she's, you know, she has weaponized her vulnerabilities in a way that, you know, might have been you know a, an influence for a lot of these acts and you know I, i've talked with sean Fennessy, yeah uh, in the past and he i think he ha- he holds a similar sentiment where she's kind of like you know if it weren't for fiona i don't know if this boom would have really
1: yeah i mean like because we have to go back to one of the biggest hooks of the year which was uh Soccer mommy on that uh your, dogs. your dog yeah One of I have the mean, best songs honestly of the year. what the fuck Top three like in mine <laughs> yep yeah but i mean like weaponizing your vulnerabilities the feeling of being insecure in a relationship and not knowing exactly what you are well knowing that you are worth more than what you're getting right and that's like kind of what the song is around, you know, like that idea, and it flips that nineteen sixty nine Stooges record. and you know, like, I don't want to be your fucking dog, which is like, like, seriously, when I heard that, I was just like, i've I'd never heard of soccermore before, right. and I was just like, I need to know everything,
0: yeah. I, and i I really do love how you know obviously we're all lumping you know oh female singer songwriter but
1: there's a there's lot of so they many do gradations so many yeah. different things like say for instance Maggie Rogers is a different thing entirely to say Meg Myers or Frankie Cosmos yeah so who
0: she really uh she released a new album this year and what's funny is like Frankie Cosmos's i think 2014 album Zentropy, mm-hmm. um was very much i thought indebted to Everything I was talking about, the whole Fiona Apple thing, her, her songwriting is so like concise. It, it almost felt like Frankie Cosmos is to the female singer songwriter Fiona Apple mold uh, that like Tara Wack is <clears throat> to the melodic rap rapper of, <laughs> of 2018. It's like getting these very concise ideas and just letting it live in that in their own like terrarium. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it, you
1: know? Well, the idea is is contained, and you get the full idea. But then it's just also allowed to breathe in that space. Right. We've we've run, we've run through a lot of artists and a lot of projects uh, so far. But aside from the Mitski album, which which is the one that like anybody that has missed some of these should absolutely visit.
0: Yeah. So this is more of a, a personal favorite. I think it kind of got. Um, overlooked because it was released early on in the year. But Lucy Dacus' album, Librarian, mm-hmm. is incredible. Uh, you can catch a review. I think, she, I think uh, Lindsay Zolads uh, wrote a profile on her uh, earlier this year. It's phenomenal. What struck me about her is she is so young, but she's probably my favorite songwriter today. She she has such a... Like, there are certain songs on both Librarian and on the Boy Genius EP where she can take these very, very mundane details and, like, place them on top of each other. And together... They make sense. They make something that's just like, oh, my God. Like, I... It, it's something that kind of digs deep within you, you know? Right.
1: It and burrows in there. So, it's just, like, the interaction of, like, very everyday things. Like, kind of how... Like if you spill if you spills coffee on your shirt, it's a different thing than spilling coffee on your shirt and stubbing your toe and missing a call from like your you know like it's right. it's it's all of these things together compound the emotion and create a very specific feeling.
0: Here's the here's how Lucy Dacus opens "Salt in the Wound" by Boy Genius. Mm-hmm. You put salt in the wound and a kiss on my cheek. You butter me up
1: and you sit down to eat. <laughs> and she sings it like it is the that was like the way the way that she the way that she sang that on that song was just like like it was honestly like hearing well it was not totally unlike hearing a bar that you literally have to listen to the verse 15 times Mm -hmm. that you know exactly what they're talking about and then you got to text all of your friends about it
0: yeah and, and she has such a warmth and, like, very mature voice. It, it almost actually reminds me of Dido. And, like, my dream uh, cover for Lucy Dacus would actually be for her to cover White Flag. <laughs> that would just be amazing to me. But, yeah, it's, there's something about just her delivery, her songwriting that I think is, is truly exceptional, mm-hmm. especially for her age.
1: Danny, we talked about uh, trends in 2018. What are some that you would like to see carried into 2019?
0: Okay, so here's something that I've been kind of monitoring um, over the past year or so is how, and especially now that we've kind of seen, you know, the whole Facebook controversies mm-hmm. and, and Brian Phillips wrote a very poignant piece about kind of longing for, the internet, the internet of our youth, mm-hmm. is how kind of the late '90s, early 2000s revivalism pops up in 2019 and beyond. Uh-huh. There's uh, there's one artist who released uh, an EP last year, but has released a couple singles this year named Rina Sa- Sawayama.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, she is a Japanese-born uh, British pop star slash model who basically is doing. 90s bubblegum pop pastiche, mm-hmm. but for you know 2018, and so it it's very much pretty much you know it, it aligns everything that we talked about today. Mm-hmm. It takes you know a very queer perspective. Uh, one of her one of her uh, you know one of the best songs I've heard this year was actually a song by her called Cherry, and it kind of delves into the idea of pansexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you but when you hear it, it's like this just. Thundering, bubbly pop song. And I'm starting to think like why the revivalism is happening right now and why she chose to go with this type of sound. And it made me think, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, that's around the time when we all kind of realized that the internet was going to be a part of our lives. Mm -hmm. And that's when we realized, you know, the internet and what we make of it is going to be a big part of our identity. And how we choose to present ourselves we can do whatever we want there it's a wild wild west uh-huh and so the idea that you know a lot of these these queer artists are are finding inspiration in that era makes a lot of sense to me where you can kind of be whatever you want to be and there are, there are no limits there are no binaries so um that's something I I would I would be interested
1: in in seeing more of, I guess. Right. Music that examines how the internet informs one's sense of self. Right.
0: Yeah, it, it's yeah. like I mean, PC Music I guess has has been doing it for a while with yeah. Sophie and and Danny Danny Harrell, you know, tongue in cheek referencing the the past but using these really strange electronic signals
1: yeah that. like so like yeah. I, I think it was that I, I wrote about the 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 record that Sophie produced for Vince Staples on uh, oh, yeah. Big Fish Theory it was just like it sounds like Sophie's music sounds like literally a fighter jet transforming into Starscream right like, <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it's it's like if you if you trapped the Spice Girls in a, a, like a metal foundry <laughs> and you forced them to make music out of like the sound of, I don't know, lava getting poured, or poured around <laughs> and all the clanking metal. It, it, it's a really strange sound, but it, it's just like it references something very specific that I feel like a lot of people who have
1: grown up on the internet intuitively understand. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, there you have it. A more newer and more strange PC music in 2019 <laughs> is what Danny would like, and so would I. Danny, thank you very much for joining me to talk about queer pop music and female singer songwriters. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. All right, now we're going to take a break. And then afterward, we're going to get into the mailbag with Donnie Kwok. we're back. Uh, We decided to open up the mailbag, open it up to some questions from you, the listeners, and I got my good friend slash boss slash editor slash sparring partner, Donnie Kwok, to answer them with me. What's going on with you? What everybody should know is that um, before we got on the air, Donnie referred to himself as his Twitter handle, KwokkaFlocka, so, you know. Yeah, KwokkaFlocka,
3: it sounds outdated now, but... Back then it was original. And also because so many people mispronounce my last name, it's actually pronounced quack. So attaching it to Waka flaka was kind of like a guide for how to pronounce it correctly. It's not quack; it's
1: quack of Flock. I just really think that I can't believe that you haven't changed your AVI to like Fozzie Bear yet <laughs> or something, you know, just really drive it home. Make sure that you have the whole pronunciation key there. <laughs> oh but let's get into it let's do it so we're just gonna do this exactly like we would do on Ringer FC except we're gonna be asking questions about music instead of soccer so the first one is actually from you that's right I asked a question (laughs) when will you finally acknowledge that Post Malone makes catchy pop music and is ultimately harmless look Donnie (laughs) I think that this is like coming up again And I'm going to talk about this briefly And then I don't want to talk about it anymore
3: Can I just interject one thing What? (laughs) It was kind of prompted a little bit by In our Slack, our office, Ringer Slack Sean Fennessy, our boss Mentioning how he couldn't get the song Sunflower out of his head that song had because he had been listening to it on Spotify the algorithm was then feeding him or recommending him other post songs and he was acknowledging that well he was troubled by it but also acknowledging that that post makes catchy music
1: okay all right um the melodies exist i'm not going to i'm not going to deny that i think that in the same way that you know like you could develop a affinity for your kidnapper i have uh, a <laughs> stockholm Syndrome. basically, yeah, i i've I've grown to like um psycho number one and and then better now, also, um oh, so you like better now because, like you literally hear every time I get in every time I get in a a lift or whatever, like it's the only it's it's playing on the radio. It's one of two songs, either that or mode. and it's better now is usually has been happening more often anyway. We talked about this on the big picture, me and Sean, but that sunflower song is is honestly, it's just so delightful. But it's, it's really more—it's from Into the Spider Verse. Into the Spider Verse, yes. Uh, but really, it's like more of a Sway Lee song. That's the that's the part that you sing to yourself, or that Miles sings to himself in the movie. It's like right, needless to say, I keep but like, and it's just like very it's just gets, like that, except it
3: actually sounds good.
1: Exactly, and you get stuck in your head. Screw you, number one. <laughs> Can
3: I just say one more quick thing about Post Malone? One thing I appreciate about him is I know whenever people are panning him or dissing him, they always bring up the quote he said about hip hop in that interview a couple years ago. Fair. You can lambaste him for that. However, I appreciate that as popular as Post Malone is, he isn't like a Takashi like troll that's forcing his way into your timeline and your feed by saying or doing outrageous things. Really, the only headlines he's made other than for his music is for like almost dying in a plane crash and things of that nature. So Post is really just putting his music out there and not trying to be some kind of outlandish personality. I respect that.
1: Let's move on to <laughs> <So> the next <laughs> that question. Enough? <laughs> that's, a, that's enough talking about Post Malone. Um, let's move on to the next question. This one is from another colleague of ours, Danny Hyfetz. The first one, if I beat you in a rap battle, can I have your dog? The answer to that is no, you're gonna have to kill me. <laughs> um two, if I Follow like... Mike <laughs> on
3: Instagram to see his beautiful dog G
1: Sung. Yeah, G Sung is he's he's very handsome and very smart, and he's great. I love him. So the second question was: if I like J. Cole, am I going to hell? um (laughs) that's extreme but honestly no uh j cole put out uh kod this year and also really more so than kod j cole had a really good features run this year yeah he had a great year yeah um so no if you like j cole you are not necessarily going to hell can i have Um, a follow-up question yeah
3: do you think danny heifetz can spit a mean 16
1: Danny Heifetz is like, uh, like a, like he's like a Swiss Army knife. It's just kind of like a new cool thing keeps coming out every time, you know. So yeah. maybe, maybe he can spit a hot, a, a hot sixteen. He would be, on...
3: be like a lyrical miracle, spiritual type of rapper. That I would bet. be. <laughs> if you have an opinion on if Heifetz can beat Mike in a rap battle, call us one eight hundred two two three nine seven nine seven.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, well, he can rap. I'm not rapping. I know I can't rap, so. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, next question from another guest that was on this podcast, Nate Scott. How will I explain Chill Wave to my children? Uh, Chill Wave is still a thing? I don't know that it's necessarily still, like, a thing on its own. I think it's just more so influence, more popular subgenres of music, but, I mean, uh, If your kids understand things like simple chord progression, mellow vocals, and analog sampling, uh, then maybe you just say those three things. Uh, But Mm -hmm. maybe you'll just show them the head scratcher thingy you use on your dog and say, in the late 2000s, we basically wanted to do this to our brains while also tucking them in for a mid-afternoon nap at the same time. (laughs) Um, That would be how I would explain Chill Wave to my children.
3: Yeah, I'm not explaining that to my non-existent (laughs) children, so, yeah.
1: Um, Let's move on to the next question, then. At Jackson asked us, who had a better year, Kenny Beats or Tay Keith? I should mention that on
3: the Ringer.com great site, we just ran a feature about Kenny Beats by Danny Schwartz, and the feature purported to, well, it says, suggests that Kenny Beats was the best producer of 2018.
1: Tay Keith had, I guess, higher highs, just because he did produce... Well, bigger artists. Um, He's getting a
3: a bigger bag, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. But Kenny Beats, I mean, had a lot of amazing star turns on different projects this year. I mean, like there was Keys 777 project, one of the- Vince Staples. Vince Staples. There was Rico Nasty. There was the All Black Two Minute Drills EP, which everybody should go listen to. There was the guy that was hating on Tupac that's now locked up. What was his name again? Oh, you're talking about O3 Greedo and I am. I actually know his 03 3 Greedo and put some respect on his name, Donnie. Anyway, I put, yes, I put Kenny a lot of respect Beats on his name. Also produced for O3 Greedo. Uh, so I'm gonna say that Kenny Beats sneakily had the better year in terms of like the amount of good music, but Tay Keith had the bigger win, I guess, because Tay Keith uh made the part on Sicko mode that everybody loves. Right, you know it's interesting. I was just
3: watching the everyday struggle on Complex. They did like their little yearly awards, and they didn't even have Kenny Beats in their producer category. It was Boy Wonder, huh? Take he- Take Keith, Kanye, Metro Boomin, and Murder Beats.
1: Um, so they had a
3: a white guy with Beats in his name, but it was Murder Beats, not Kenny Beats. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man <laughs> should we move on to the next question let's move on to the next question let's I move feel on like we we've, 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 we've comprehensively answered that one uh, this next question is from at dumb online boy do you see future hip hop projects trending more towards short but loaded albums like FM or Freddie or Daytona or towards long albums like Astroworld Scorpion which allow for more experimentation smart question from dumb online boy <laughs> can I answer it yeah go ahead Well, I would say it's going to always be a mixed bag. I don't
3: think there's going to be an overarching trend that affects all artists. But I do think that fans, consumers will really only have patience for longer albums from like the 1% of artists. And right now that 1% does include Drake and Travis Scott.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably uh, the best way to answer it. Although I do very much enjoy um, this trend of putting out albums that uh, you know have a thing to do they come they do it and they leave and they don't understand they're welcome I appreciate that would you give Ye credit for that Kanye? No for kind
3: of making it more of a thing I mean obviously short albums and EPs have existed before the good music run but it seems like that stretch of seven song albums kind of did mark a shift somewhat no?
1: I mean I don't necessarily I don't want to say that it was like an inflection point Mm-hmm. but those are just EPs that had the name album on them, not even, like, there might have been, like, really, Pusha Teaser was the only one that had a coherent thing, like an idea that it was about, like, from start to finish. I mean, like, there were other projects that came out during that stretch that have pacing issues, which is not a thing that should happen on a seven-song project. <laughs> right. Um, So I would say that, I mean, while it was a thing that happened, I don't necessarily want to say that it's this is what made it a trend. You just in don't music. want to give
3: Kanye any credit. That's cool. Let's move, over. <laughs> uh,
1: let's move on to the next question. This one from R.J. Wayan. at Slopdog. Do you think the current music climate makes it so that there are more one-hit wonders than ever before? Um, I don't. Well yeah, sure. Let's 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 go ahead and say that's true because uh Billboard changed the way that they weighted streaming in the charts in May, I believe it was, which just made it so that like hits could basically come from anywhere.
3: Right. I disagree actually. I mean, I think well first of all, it really depends on what you define as a hit, but I don't think there's necessarily more one-hit wonders. I just think the people that make the one hit can sustain their relevance longer. And because of social media and because of, you know, how rap gossip and, and has infiltrated our lives. Uh, so it's, it's not that there's more, uh, one hit wonders. It's just that they stay relevant longer.
1: Yeah. I think that that's probably a more comprehensive way of answering the question. Um, but also like the, a a big, a a big part of that has been the, the change in the, the billboard metrics. True. Do you have a favorite one? I guess we
3: don't know who's going to be a one hit wonder. I mean if they they've had one hit this year we can't really forecast how their career is going to go but is there a one hit a one hit this year that you think was um a one hit like what was this year's panda
1: Oh it, was it Mobamba
3: maybe Well <sighs> is Sheck West going to have is he ever going to have a hit bigger than
1: Mobamba I it's don't know. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, like, think about the the way that Mo Bamba came to like "Rose to Promise" is that like it was just kind of on Spotify for a while, and then right. all of a sudden it picked up, especially after the music video where he like slams the crutches down or the or, and is riding around on the little on the hover round in a in, <laughs> yeah. a in an aircast or whatever. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Um I would say that yeah that's probably like if there are one hit wonders that one is probably it um although like the project was Mudboy was okay I I think that the probably the only two songs that survived my in my rotation from that were were Mobamba and Gmail <laughs> but I also I mean like but also it's just kind of the 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 stuff that the one hit wonders that I really think about are random things that i find on soundcloud um and then like will play forever and or until i hate it <laughs> like there's one song called swoosh me up by this guy named swoosh god
2: back will roll on my head and see sipping can't see my eyes part of shade in it god keep a few women me right now highway i see me the hell who really my friend i never can tell friendships start nice but it never end well please
1: that i've listened to so much like so much in the in the last couple of, of uh months or weeks so it's or like whatever. A personal,
3: it's like a personal hit. Yeah, like
1: it's hit it's hit. it's definitely it, it, I listened to it so much that it messed up my ear and metrics for Spotify. So I like the name swoosh god though. Yeah, it is a pretty tight name. Let's move on to the next question though. Um this one from Michael Gardner at M Gardner LC. Is the Black Panther soundtrack overrated, underrated, or properly rated? Do you think it has a chance to win the Grammy Oscar combo it deserves? It's all yours. Um, I think the Black Panther soundtrack is probably properly rated because it got a, uh, I mean, like all the stars got a Golden Globe nomination and then he's got eight more Grammy nominations for that album. You might have been able to say that it was underrated towards maybe like the middle of the year when the best of 2018 so far lists were coming out just because it was easy to forget that Black Panther happened this year just because well, the know, phenomenon. Feels so long ago. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's up for everything, all the awards. So I think- Is
3: it possible that it it could be overrated just because it is woven into, and it's hard to separate it from the cultural moment and the cultural phenomenon that Black Panther was? Like, let's say it was the soundtrack for, like, Ant-Man and the Wasp or something.
1: you think that- ant-man and the wasp can inspire a song like seasons <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe not <laughs> but i i think that like probably let's just go with properly rated i think it's properly rated. rated yeah um let's move on to the next question at og gage johnson two questions it's a twofer first what did you think of take off's album second what did you think of the juice world and future world on drugs album Should I take that one, Donnie, or did you listen to those projects? (laughs) I was about
3: to do the In Living Color. Hated it. (laughs) I don't ever think of Takeoff's album, One. And for Juice World and Future, I listened to it. It was very, very monotonous and repetitive, and I would never listen to it again by choice.
1: Honestly, I liked the Future and Juice World project when I first heard it. Um, but then again, I had already been drinking that Thursday evening when it came out, so... <laughs> drinking what? Uh, it doesn't matter, <laughs> um, but I do really like the first two songs on the project. Jet lag and Astronaut sound like the two songs off of that project that they were actually physically in the studio together for. The rest of it just sounds like they were emailing back and forth and kind of playing off of riffs that each of the other had already laid down and it was just kind of monotonous and unfocused and I didn't like it but I really do like the first like mainly jet lag mainly jet lag I like off of that album
3: do you think that juice world because obviously I mean I can't say I mean the cynical way to look at it would be that future kind of I mean juice world I think had dreamed of collaborating with future and future's Popularity was kind of waning, waning a little bit this year. Fair to say, and and Juice World was popping, and so
1: it's not a project that should have happened. Uh, right. Like I'll I'll put it that way, and it's definitely a case of like somebody latching on to you know a younger, more it was a, it, that was a trend that was happening across hip hop this year. I mean, like Nicki Minaj and Takashi, Kanye West and Lil Pump, Kanye West and XXXTentacion just latch on to the bubbling, controversial, whatever, younger rapper that, you know, like at least people are talking about so that you're, don't.
3: Just as a brief, brief aside, it's interesting that this is going on simultaneously with most recently now, there's kind of this old generation, new generation. I mean, I guess the old generation, new generation war has been ongoing for a while, but it's recently creeped back into the conversation with the, I, I don't know if you saw on Instagram, like Lazy Bone going at Migos. Because Migos had said that they were the best hip-hop group of all time. Oh, yeah. And Lazy Say No oh, was Bone Thugs. And now people are responding to that. So it's interesting that there's this old generation, new generation friction. when at the same time, I mean, I guess uh, Bone and Migos are f- way further separated than Future and Juice World. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I guess there's no point to that statement. It's just interesting that they're both going on at uh, around the same time. And I-, I also think that the older rappers kind of chasing relevance with the younger rappers is not a good look.
1: It's mainly just because it's so obvious. Um, but anyway, uh, Takeoff's album, The Last Rocket, I have not revisited this album since it came out, uh, except for the Infatuation record, which was just kind of like, where the fuck did this come from when I heard it the first time? All we need, go, Love the way your voice out on the
2: telephone
1: because it's just such a like it's a pure pop record uh kind of like white sand on culture 2 or was it cc i can't remember but anyway um like that was great the album the last rocket was i didn't really need it much like i didn't really need the quavo huncho album and i don't need i probably don't need offsets you know apology album to cardi Um, that's going to be coming. I
3: think it was our colleague Justin Sales that pointed out the irony of Migos Management Group being called Quality Control.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exercise exercise some. It's a running, So it's definitely a running gag. Um, (laughs) uh, But right, let's move on to the next question from Joe Crattini at Trout Boy Joe. How would you give out awards for Hook of the Year, Production of the Year, Verse of the Year, and Feature of the Year? Wow. All right, you want to go one by one? Uh, Sure. Let's go. Do you want to go first? You want to go first for yeah. the Hook of the Year? Hook
3: of the Year, I have three tied. Well, four. Okay. Mobamba. Yes. I got holes. Oh, Sad by uh, RIP XXX X, X. Tentacion. Tentacion. Praise the Lord, ASAP.
2: My, my pants below create. Experience. Love, expand, Concord. I came,
0: I saw, I came, I saw. I praised the Lord, them break the
3: Lord. Underrated song and a wild card. Gucci flip-flops, bad baby.
0: flops fucking you, hit you bitch in the ass. This a big watch. Time is dripping off of the clock. Put it six out. When time dropping the sound.
3: Oh wow. Oh, and, and in my feelings, Drake.
1: Kiki, they love me. Are you' riding say you never ever leave from beside me cause I want you and I need you, and I'm down for you. Always
3: sorry I made five hooks but those were all great hooks
1: I was gonna say that like the one the, one of the hooks that I had I, I said I had so much fun doing that praise the Lord hook just because it doesn't work without Skepta's like East London accent
3: I was gonna say it's also like best feature best yeah. feature and best hook
1: the the rats, the snakes, the chickens, <laughs> the dogs yeah it's But honest, also
3: worse feature, because his verse is kind of weak His but verse is, is weak, is but
1: like The verse is, yeah Yeah, it is kind of weak, but also Like, it's also great So let's just So what's your best hook? Okay, my best hook of the year is uh, From Status Symbol 3 Almost forgot what I was doing Almost
2: forgot where I was going I've been driving, I've been smoking almost forgot what
1: i was doing almost forgot what i was drinking what the hell have i been thinking um by nipsey hustle uh buddy's hook is amazing <laughs> just because okay so the music video is like they are in route to shoot a music video and buddy's sitting somewhere at some intersection and Nipsey calls him like, you know, yo, you were supposed to be here an hour ago, and he was just like, damn, I almost forgot what I was doing, and it was just like he was smoking and driving around, mm-hmm. and that's literally the hook is just like. Almost forgot what I was doing.
2: Almost forgot what I was going, I've been driving. I've been smoking.
1: Almost forgot what I was doing. Almost <laughs> forgot what I was going. I've been driving. I've been smoking. And like it's, It
3: sounds exactly like that Just better
1: it, Exactly You've made that joke twice On this podcast now, <laughs> I'm gonna keep making way. it Every
3: time you sing uh, <laughs> It didn't sound bad
1: actually you yeah. Oh wow Thank you That's so nice um, uh, Let's see Best production of the year Do you wanna go first Or should I go first Yeah you go first I mean the easy The easy one here Is still yeah. Gone on you with the pick and roll Younger flame here sickle mode
2: jump out, boys, Nike boys This way too big when we pull up, me
1: Sicko mode, just because there's no reason that a song like that should reach number one. It's five minutes long and has three different segments in it. I mean, like it's got a bunch of panic at the disco kind of beat switch-ups, but honestly, it was like very again and I don't know how many times I can say this but it was actually like riding a, a roller coaster
3: <laughs> I mean honestly Sickle Mode is pretty much the song of the year the rap song of the year I would say
1: yeah I mean like In My Feelings is obviously up there uh, even though it was a Bounce Pastiche record made by a white dude from Minnesota
3: what's his race got to do with
1: it I th- am <laughs> just kidding <laughs> <laughs> screw you um <laughs> Let's go. Let's go on to verse of the year. Yeah, let's go on to verse of the year. Who's your? Who's? Who's got your your vote for verse of the year?
3: I'm gonna go with "Story of Adidon." Pusha T. In in terms of the verse that blew my mind, and I had to listen to it repeatedly. Obviously, it's a diss song with some terrible words said within, but that's my verse of the year.
1: Yeah, I like "Story of Adidon" is like tough to top just because of like how much time we spent. Online and on this podcast, yelling about it.
3: <laughs> tick, tick, tick. What did you think of Jay Z's verse on Meek Mill?
1: Jay Z's verse on a lot Meek of people Mill like is—I mean, like it is that was the woke
3: version, woke verse of the year.
1: Yeah, it is the the woke verse of the year. Um, I think that I'm kind of a little a little tired of 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 Jay Z's black capitalist praxis. I think it's less charming when Beyonce <laughs> isn't there. Um, but I mean, like it definitely was. I mean, like in terms of ones that you had to run back and like analyze, like down to its smallest parts. Probably, yeah, that's that's definitely in the running for verse of the year. I think we
3: mentioned J Cole's great run. Did you think any one of his features maybe stood out?
1: I as mean, a out of, of sight, out of mind. The one on the J Rock album was really, really good, but I don't think that any of those verses are actually in contention for verse of the year. I still think that we should go with Story of Adidas. Um just because, like the tick, 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 how much time you got, you man is six, six, six is <laughs> just sadistic, brutal, right? And you're
3: hiding a child. That's like exactly. The catchphrase of the exactly.
1: year. Um,
3: <laughs> But feature of the year. I was gonna say future on King's Dead. J. Rocks King's Dead. Also featuring Kendrick Lamar and James Blake.
1: I'm gonna grieve so hard with you here because it is amazing nice. to me that and I don't even love future. Like "ladi dadi das" slab on my knob is nominated for a fucking Grammy. That is incredible. <laughs> so everybody that said that 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 feature was bad and lazy, you know, deal with that. This is the one time I'm gonna lean back on a Grammy nomination as like vindication for an argument that I was having online. <laughs>
3: Let me guess what your best feature is. Is it Nicki Minaj on Fifi? Next question. <laughs> can I, can I, can I ask this
1: one? Yeah, go ahead.
3: This is from Jason Feldman 315. Uh, so how impressive was Kanye's production run of those albums now that the dust is settled? He's talking about, of course, the five that were released week after week in June. Daytona and Teana have to count for something. So I guess, uh, Jason is suggesting that Daytona and Teana's albums were the cream of that crop.
1: I think that Kanye's production in different places throughout that five album run was, you know, like really sterling. Comeback baby and infrared on, uh, on Daytona are incredible. Uh, that shit knocks. Um, also issues, hold on. I mean, like even work this pussy, um, Rose in Harlem, all great songs on Tiana Taylor's album. And then also, I mean, like I actually liked White Label, but that's really just because I like the the immigrant record that it samples from Nas's album. I think that there was there was good production to be found as far as like all these projects go. It was just that it was overshadowed by uh like live streaming, like release parties, uh all of his antics, his energy sessions with like it was five albums, right? Yeah. So
3: seven tracks each, 35 tracks. Of those 35 tracks since they've been released, how how many of them do you are still like in your playlists?
1: Honestly, the 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 ones that have survived are the ones that I've really I've already listed. Rose in Harlem, Issues, Comeback Baby, Infrared. You uh, listen to anything like, off Yay? Fourth dimension. I've I've like was really taken with the with the production on I Thought About Killing You. Um, just because I've, it sounds, you know, like a Francis and the light song. It's really hypnotic, but like everything that is not the production ruins the song. <laughs> right. Um, all mine is also, well, it should have been a Ty Dolla Sign and Valet song. Uh, I, it, and I would have liked it to just be that instead of a Ty Dolla Sign Valet and Kanye song. I mean, like, are any of those songs, are you still jamming any of those? Not really, no. Mm. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, Well, that is the mailbag emptied. We've answered your lingering questions about the year in music, and we hope that you enjoyed it. Thank you for riding with us, and thank you, Donnie, for joining me. Thank you, Micah. That's all we got for y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Really, thank you so much. If you listened, if you shared, if you subscribed, we really appreciate you rocking with us in 2018. Special thanks for this episode to Israel Daramola and Danny Chow, Donnie Kwok. Shout out my producer, Bobby Wagner. Don't forget to check out our playlist, so we'll be updating every week with the songs we're listening to. A link to that is in the description. Also, please rate and subscribe if you like the show. We would really appreciate it. Peace. Stay blessed, y'all.